Well, good morning. Good to be back. Uh, a week away at student camp. It is good to be here. <laughs> uh, student camp that I attended last weekend was in Smithville, Tennessee. And the first uh, time I stood up to speak to the students, I told them that Jesus is coming back at a time we don't know when. I just pray it's not while I'm out here in these woods because I'm not sure he could find me. <laughs> we were deep. We weren't in Smithville. We were somewhere in that vicinity, but it was out in the sticks. Please be finding Acts chapter 1. Um, prayed for you last week. What a wonderful service uh, here. Um, I was with you in prayer. Michael, thank you for bringing a good word and uh, rejoicing just over those who follow the Lord and believers' baptism and the sharing of the Lord's Supper and <clears throat> all that God is doing is so wonderful here uh, among us and how grateful we are for that. We're, we're in a series of messages that are covering the first seven chapters of the book of Acts and how did we determine the parameters for this is that we looked at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in our first message, and in that message basically what you have is you have an outline for the entire book of Acts. In Acts 1.8 it talks about how the Holy Spirit filled the lives of believers, and then the gospel began to spread as Jesus had commanded them to take the good news to tell their story of salvation, and it began to spread in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the first seven chapters and to the ends of the earth and in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts what we have is we have the story of the Holy Spirit working and acting in the lives of believers and touching that city for Christ. Now this morning as we think about that we look at the title of the book of Acts and we realize that just by its very title it suggests to us that Christianity is more than just about knowledge. The Bible tells us that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's more than knowledge. Christianity is about movement. And the church in Jerusalem, those first believers, became a force for righteousness and good in the name of Jesus Christ because the church got moving. But before the church got moving, Jesus ordered his followers to wait. Now the title of my message this morning is, What to Do While You Wait. What to do while you wait. Now believe it or not, there are going to be times in our lives when we feel like we're stuck in quicksand and we feel like time is in suspended animation. But what I want you to see from God's Word this morning is that there are God-ordained times in our lives when God's plan is for us to wait. Waiting doesn't come easily for us. The fact of this is, uh, gives us new perspective on perhaps what David had in mind when he said in Psalm 23, verse 4, He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
Now, we don't like to wait. Waiting doesn't come easily for us, and perhaps that's what the psalmist had in mind when he said, he makes me lie down. The Lord makes us lie down because we don't like to be still. We want action. We want to make things happen. And so sometimes God makes us lay down. He has to make us lie down. And in today's message, what we're going to find is that waiting, despite what it suggests, is not a period of inactivity. And so in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, what we're going to see this morning is what we are to do while we're waiting on the Lord. And beginning at the ninth verse, I ask you to follow along with me in Acts 1. And this is what we find there. Now after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took Jesus out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who's been taken from you in heaven will come again in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Let's pray. Uh, Father, open our eyes and our hearts to be receptive to what you want to say to us through your word today because your word is living and active and it is applicable to our lives today just as it was as you gave it to those who were your messengers. But Lord, we do not ask that we would be mere observers of those who were your messengers, but that we would be participants ourselves. That as we listen to the message, we will become the message to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Though times of waiting are part of God's schedule for our lives, times of waiting are not times of inactivity. What are we to do while we wait? First, we see in the text that we are to obey the Lord while we wait. It's a short statement, only a few words. But look again at verse 12 and see what it says there. They return to Jerusalem. Jesus came to earth very naturally. He was born of a woman. (laughs) But the way he exited was anything but commonplace. The scripture tells us that he was taken up in a cloud. That the Lord raised him up. And he disappeared out of sight. And that just gives me a visual picture of these disciples watching Jesus go up in the air the same way I watch my grandchildren when they have a birthday and they get a helium balloon. And uh, normally, you know, it would be uh, uh, weeping and crying and the gnashing of teeth when a child lets go of a helium balloon, but somehow in their family, they've, this has become a time of celebration. So everybody goes outside with their helium balloon. You wait for the birthday boy to let his go. He's usually the biggest. And we just stand there and we watch these balloons, these helium balloons rise and rise and rise. 
And they go higher and higher, and we're just standing there. We're just watching them until we can't see them any longer. They just disappear out of sight. That's the picture I have of the disciples. They're watching Jesus. Their mouths are wide open. They're watching Jesus go out of sight until he disappears. But before Jesus is gone for very long, there's this tap they feel on the shoulder. What are you guys doing? I sometimes get that tap on my shoulder. Didn't Jesus tell y'all you're supposed to do something? And the scripture tells us that the angels kind of snapped him out of it. And they listened to the message, and it was a wake-up call. If you'll remember, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus, before he is lifted out of their sight, meets with them, and his resurrected body is not yet ascended to the Father. And he gathers his disciples together, and he says to them, I want you, verse 4, Acts 1, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there until I send the Holy Spirit. Now verse 12 tells us that the disciples were standing on the Mount of Olives. It tells us that they were there with Jesus. It says that they were on the Sabbath when he ascended. Luke describes, if you look in verse 12, Luke describes the Mount of Olives as being a Sabbath day's journey away from Jerusalem. And we may easily mistake that for a day's walk. You know, I get a picture that says they're a day's journey. But in reality, they were not a day's journey away from Jerusalem except for this fact. The Jews were told to observe the laws of God and to show their obedience for him by obeying those laws. And they were told that they were not to do any work on the Sabbath. The Mount of Olives was within 2,000 meters of Jerusalem. It was not even a mile. And so even Jesus, when he commands them to return Jerusalem, does not command them to break the law. And so they follow Jesus' command and they walk back into the city of Jerusalem, which is less than a mile's journey. They obeyed what Jesus told them to do and they waited there for the outpouring of the Spirit. They obeyed what God told them to do. Anthropomorphisms are us projecting our own images of God from our human perspective. Now God obviously may not be like that at all because the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. Jesus has revealed him to us. 
But I picture God with a smile when we obey him. Obeying means that we do what God asks us to do without reservation and without hesitation. It also means that God doesn't owe us an explanation every time he tells us to do something. I just exhausted myself thinking about the many examples in Scripture where God told people to do something and when he told them to do it, it, it seemed just totally, uh, you know, nonsense. I mean, it, it didn't seem to make any sense at all. We look back at Scripture and we realize that Noah was told to build an ark before any rain had fallen on the earth. Abraham was told to leave his family his comfortable surroundings, all that he knew, pick up and move to a foreign country. He didn't even have MapQuest. He didn't have any idea of where he was going. No Google Maps, no anything. He just set out to a place that God told him where he was to go. Moses threw down a staff. It became a serpent. And Joshua at the Battle of Jericho He was told to have the Israelites march around the city for six days in a row and don't do anything else. And then on the seventh day, God told Joshua, but tell the Israelites on the seventh day that they're to march around the city seven times and to blow their trumpets. And the walls came a-tumbling down. None of those things make any sense. Let me tell you something, friends. Understanding can wait. Obedience can't. There are many things in the Scripture where God commands us to do something, and this is what I have learned. Instant obedience will teach us more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussions. There are some commands we're not going to understand until we first obey them. Obedience is what unlocks understanding. Often we try to offer God partial obedience, don't we? I mean, we pick and choose the commands we want to obey. We make a list of the ones we like and ignore the ones we think are unreasonable or difficult or expensive or maybe even unpopular. And we say, you know, I'll attend church. It's harmless enough. But tithing? Whoa! Let's not get carried away here. We say, I'll read my Bible daily but I'm not going to forgive that person who hurt me. Partial obedience is disobedience. James 2.24 says, 
tells us there's a difference between faith with works and faith without works. James 2.24 tells us that God is pleased not by what we say we believe, but what we do based on what we say we believe. Now don't get me wrong here. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing any of us can do to earn God's forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? What a gift. What a gift. But do you know that same scripture teaches us that those who love God obey Him. Now those are not my words, those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I don't know how you can make it any more plain than that. And so first, obey the Lord while you wait. Secondly, I want you to see this. Stay connected to other believers while you wait. Let's read on in verses 13 and 14. This is what we find there. Now when they arrived, that is back in Jerusalem, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' half-brothers. Now it's likely that this is the same room where Jesus had shared the Lord's Supper with them in Jerusalem before he was betrayed and before he was crucified and raised from the dead. This is likely that same room where Jesus first appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. And this list of apostles that we are given is the exact same list that we are given In Luke's gospel, when Luke says Jesus called them one by one, those who should be with him and be his disciples, the list is is exactly the same with one exception. Judas Iscariot is not listed in the Acts 1 list. And that is because when Judas Iscariot realized he'd betrayed innocent Jesus, he took his own life. And what a variety of people <laughs> made up this group. I mean, they're men, they're women, they're apostles. There are others, but regardless of what label you put on them, let me just tell you something. They're just ordinary folks, just like us, just ordinary folks. And they're meeting here. Because Jesus has told them, go back there. And among them is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And members of Jesus' earthly family who did not believe in Jesus before his crucifixion and resurrection, but they did believe in Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And the center of their fellowship is just one thing and one thing alone. They wanted to magnify Jesus together. That's what drew them together. 
And to these the Lord had given responsibility of bearing witness to a lost world. And the passage teaches us that they realized we can't do it alone. We need the Holy Spirit and we need one another if we're going to carry out God's mission. It wasn't a time for anybody to sit around and ask who's the greatest. It wasn't a time to scan the room and look at this person or that person and kind of run through some things in your mind and say who's committed the greatest sin. None of that was important. As they waited and they worshiped together, they were being prepared for the work that God had set before them to do. Some of you may recall that Billy Graham uh, published a syndicated column in which he would respond to questions posed to him and he would print his answers and then many times newspapers around America and around the world even would pick up Billy Graham's answers to these questions that he received from others. And thinking about our passage this morning, Graham's answer to one of those questions came to mind. An inquirer wrote, Dear Dr. Graham, a couple of people in my church have said things about me that are very hurtful, so I've decided to stop going. Now, I know you'll try to talk me into going back, but why should I? And here's Dr. Graham's printed reply God doesn't want us to be isolated from other believers they may not be perfect but neither are we we need each other and when we cut ourselves off from other believers our spiritual lives are weaker and incomplete he went on he said we need the understanding that comes from the preaching and teaching of God's word as well as the love and the friendship that grow from fellowship with other believers. God also wants us to serve him and a church provides opportunities for us to do that. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And this is how he concluded his reply. Ask God to help you to forgive those who may have hurt you, even as Christ has forgiven you. What they did was wrong, but don't let it cut you off from others in your church who need you. And if it simply isn't possible for you to be comfortable at this church anymore, ask God to lead you to another church where you'll not only feel welcome, but can also grow in your faith. Dr. Graham's response teaches us the important biblical truth that there are two aspects of Christianity that we all need. The first is believing and the second is belonging. Now the Bible tells us if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you may be saved. Belief is important. But the scripture tells us specifically that all those who believe become a part of Christ's body. That's not a gradual thing. When you believe, you become a part of Jesus' body. And that means that you are joined to every other member, every other part of the body. The truth is simple. To believe is to belong. And the two go together. Obey the Lord while you wait. Fellowship with other believers. Stay connected with other believers while you wait. And then thirdly, I want you to see that we are to pray continually while we wait. Verse 14, this phrase, they were all continually united in prayer. I don't know that it ever occurred on me until I really started drilling down and thinking about this a little bit. And as I rehearsed the whole scene in my mind, it clicked that this is the last appearance of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the Scripture. And it's significant, at least it is to me, that the last picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, given to us in the scripture, is that she is with a group of believers praying. And I want you to notice this, the group is praying with Mary, they're not praying to Mary. Folks, the church was not born out of organization. It was born out of prayer. Acts 2.42, as we'll see later, but as you look there with me, you'll notice that it records that on the day of Pentecost, that is the day God sent the Holy Spirit, 40 days later, those who confessed their faith in Jesus, this is what it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In Acts, prayer is spoken of more than any other single activity of the gathered church. Acts 1.24, the church gathered to pray over the choice of a new apostle. Acts 6.4, the apostles considered prayer to be their primary duty. Acts 4, 23 to 31, believers prayed for courage to witness for Christ despite persecution. In Acts 12, verses 1 through 11, the believers in John Mark's house prayed that Peter would be released from prison and God opened the prison doors and Peter walked out. Acts 13, 3 tells us that Paul and Barnabas were singled out as the first missionaries during a prayer meeting. Acts 14.23, the church confirmed the importance of prayer by appointing new elders with prayer. Acts 16.13 and 16 reveals that when Paul and Barnabas arrived in the city where they hoped to share the gospel, they typically sought out places of prayer. In almost every chapter in the book of Acts, we find a reference to prayer, and the book makes it very clear When God's people pray, God does something. 
the church visibly depended on prayer as the means of releasing the power of God. I tell you what, a church where God is alive and active is a church where prayer is priority. Not an afterthought. Not a mere fine way to begin a service and end a service. Thank you, Brother Tom, for leading us and teaching us that. That prayer is what God hears. Prayer moves God into action. Prayer is what is critical. It's not our schemes and our thinking and our dreams and our way of doing things and let's just get organized. It's prayer that moves God into action. And this is what I see. The suggestion is that it was prayer that united them, but it was not prayer that united them. It was obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ that united them, and prayer was the outcome. We do not pray because we do not obey. The result of obedience is we will be united together in prayer. Now what happens when we pray? We have any bass fishermen in here? I was fishing for bass once, been a while, but was in a small boat by myself. Fishing just a little bit offshore. Uh, Y'all know how you fish the points, you fish the drop-off points, you fish in front of a rain, barometric pressure plays a lot to do with it. And I'm casting my line toward the shore where there is a submerged log. Man, I got me a whopper of a tree. <laughs> now a fisherman knows You can't horse a tree. You shake it. You try to get your line loose and, you know, don't make things work. But what did I do? But I reeled harder. And what do you think happened? You think I pulled the shoreline to me? No. The harder I reeled, the more... I was pulled toward that log and the shoreline. That's a great analogy of prayer. Prayer is not us pulling God to our point of view. Prayer draws us to God. Acts 1.14 is the first record given to us in Scripture of people offering prayers to God in the name of the risen Christ. And Jesus' invitation to us in Acts 14.13 and 14 is this. Whatever you ask in my name, 
I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, I will do it. You know, the best time to call on Jesus is the present time. This morning, God drew you to this place, and now it's all becoming crystal clear why he brought you here this morning. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know him as your Lord and Savior. You've not called upon the risen Christ and believed in him and said, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And maybe your life is pretty good on the outside, looks pretty good, but you know on the inside that not all is right between you and God. And that doesn't make you alone because the Bible says that we are all sinners, everyone in here. I hate to bruise your ego, but we're all sinners. And we all need a Savior. And God drew you to this place this morning so that you would call out to him and say, Jesus, I want you to save me from my sin. I believe you are God's son who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised the third day. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want you to forgive me. I want you to come in and save me. And Jesus, I want to live for you. And I will not be ashamed of you. The best time to call on Jesus is the present time. And that may be exactly a prayer you need to pray this morning. Two things about that. Number one, tell Jesus, Lord Jesus, I need you, I want you, I believe in you, and I commit myself to follow you as my Lord and Savior. And I will not be ashamed. Now if that's your prayer and your need today, Listen to me. Don't leave this morning without coming down here at the end of our service and telling Andy, telling Michael, telling Tom, today's the day I asked Jesus to save me. I committed to follow him, and I'm not ashamed. I just wanted to tell you about it. I want to say to you this morning that as we think about prayer that as you're leaving the worship center this a.m. and you go out the doors, our ushers are going to be stationed there and they're going to hand you uh, a card, a printed card or sheet of paper that has 14 prayers for the church. 14 life-giving prayers. Here's what we're going to do. Starting today... And for the next 14 days, or for 14 days beginning today, together we are going to be united in prayer. And there are 14 things on that sheet of paper. One, you can pray for every day. 
And these will also be available on the church uh, website as prompts. Here's the focus for today, each day for the next two weeks. And I want you to see, as you look at that list, you may choose to pray for one or more than one every day for two weeks, or you may choose to pray for all of the things on that list, if you want to, every day. But pray for the one that is focused for each day for the next 14 days. Let's just see what Almighty God could do when His people are united in prayer. Huh? And then this morning, as a first step in obedience to what we have witnessed in the Word this morning, as we close our worship time, we're going to enter into a season of prayer. And we're going to pray with and for the members of our pastor search committee. And if you're a member of our pastor search committee, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Let's see who you are. You're in the building right now. Stand up. Members of our pastor search committee. And uh, just stay there standing. I'd like to embarrass you. Uh, We're going to pray with them for the pastor that God is calling to be the next pastor of First Baptist Church. And beyond that, we're going to be praying for his family and we're going to be praying for the church that he's currently serving. And I'm just going to tell you that if we get the pastor we want, that pastor's going to be a praying pastor. And you know what he's going to be looking for? A praying church. I love the way God connects the right combinations, don't you? And so through prayer, we're going to become a vital part of the pastor search process this morning. And Andy is going to come and guide us in our season of prayer for our pastor search this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to form little prayer huddles across the the church. Some of you will be close enough to pray with and for uh, these search committee members, and so we would appreciate it if you would uh, gravitate toward them and lay your hands on them as you pray, or lay your hands on those who have laid their hands on them to pray. Some of you may want to form huddles right where you are, your family or a collection of families right there. We're going to pray across uh, the screen here for the search committee, for the process but ultimately, you see what we're praying here, that, that the will of God would be done. Nothing less and nothing more. We want exactly what God has for us next. But we also want to pray, look at the very bottom. It says, we want to pray for your church family as we wait upon the Lord. This morning, we've heard what to do while we wait upon the Lord. These people are doing things that only they can do. But we can all pray. So would you stand with me now? Would you form little prayer huddles across the room? Would you begin to pray? And in just a few moments... I will come and close our prayer time together. But please pray together these things on the screen.